This time we're going to be up on the mountain, the same time frame as last week, just a different location. And we're going to see this conversation between the Lord and Moses. And this conversation is really amazing. It shows us how much, it shows us a much about the Lord's character. It, it shows us what true leadership looks like for Moses and really how necessary it is that God's people and even the lost have intercessors to help them along the way. I want us to look at our story today, but before we do that, let us go to the Lord in prayer and ask that he open our hearts and minds today to his word. God, you are good and you are holy. And you have given us a good word today so that we may shape our lives to be holy and acceptable and pleasing unto you. Lord, would you change us? Would you mold us? Would you make us more into the image of your Son through your word, through prayer, through others? That we may do it all to the praise of your glorious name. Lord, teach us from your word today. We love you. We are in constant awe of the grace that you've given our life. You relenting from your wrath, giving us life. Lord, we thank you. We can never thank you enough. It's in the name of Jesus we do pray. Amen. One thing is for sure from this story, and it's not the main point of the text, but one thing is for sure is that nothing gets past the eyes of God. I think oftentimes we understand this. So when we make mistakes, we understand that it transgresses the law of God and we are sorrowful and we repent. But what is more scary is, and we've discussed this a little last week, is that there are people who follow God or claim to follow God, but for whatever reason do not care that God is all-knowing, God is all-seeing, that nothing gets past the eyes of God. That God sees, that He hears, that He cares about our spiritual growth or lack thereof. It seems at times that it doesn't matter. The Lord is known, friends, and we'll see this from our text today, in a condemning way. The Lord knows what we do in a condemning way, but also if we repent... If we turn from our sin, the Lord knows what we do, and He's able to redeem us. That's just sort of a a side sermon to begin the sermon, but I'm convinced now more than ever, friends, as we shift our focus to the main aspect of the sermon, that we need to shift more and more attention to prayer. We need to shift more and more attention to prayer, especially intercessory prayer. So we begin today at the top of Mount Sinai, and the Lord is going to inform Moses as to what the people of God are doing. And he goes to Moses, and he levies six charges against the people of God. You can see these in our verses today. He says, they have corrupted themselves. That's the first charge. The second charge, they have turned aside from me. The third charge, they have made an idol. The fourth charge, they have worshipped the idol. The fifth charge, they have sacrificed to the idol. The sixth, they have claimed that the idol represented the gods 
that brought them out of Egypt. Six charges against the people of God. Of course God is let down again. And of course Moses is disappointed. So the Lord brings these charges, charges against the people of Israel. And there are some interesting things that the Lord is saying. And if it weren't so sad, it would be funny. But one thing to note is that the Lord calls the people of Israel, the Lord calls His people what? He says, Moses, they're your people. They're your people that you brought out of Egypt. Your people who you brought out of Egypt have corrupted themselves. If you're a parent in here, or if you were slash are an unruly child, you might get a glimpse of what is happening here. Have you ever noticed how when a child is misbehaving, then they are the child of the other parent and not yours? Anytime my child flatulates, they are my child all of a sudden and not Anna's. I don't understand. I don't get that. We all get it. Now why that is funny, to, it's funny to think about. You know, it's funny to think that um, this is God saying, those are your kids, not mine. That's not exactly what God is saying. God is not saying that he has abandoned his children. What he is saying to Moses, he's saying, Moses, they're your children because they've abandoned me. They've abandoned me. Not that the Lord ran away, not that the Lord went away from his people, but that his people abandoned him. And he's saying, Moses, they're your children, your children, because at this point, it is up to you to rescue them. You have to get these themes, you have to follow these themes, because these themes parallel to the importance of intercessory prayer. Moses, it's up to you to rescue these people. It will be up to Moses to intercede for his people. Because what do we know? That if Moses does not intervene, the Lord is going to destroy them. I watched this video of this kid online the other day, and it, it looked like he was at a ballpark or something, and he was cussing and screaming, and he was trying to get this adult to fight him. He was up in his face, and he was like up to the adult's waist. I mean, a little kid, not a teenager. And the entire time the adult is showing patience and the, eventually the kid punches the adult several times and the adult pushes him to the ground. Now throughout the entire video, one thought kept going through my head. Someone better come get this child before, they, before he gets destroyed. And on a massively larger scale, this is what the Lord is saying. Moses, they are pestering me. They're testing me. They're disobeying me. You better go get them before they get destroyed. Moses, you better get your kids before I take the matter into my own hands. The Lord, has said, the Lord says, Moses, they've turned aside quickly. They are hard-headed. And you either need to leave them to me or you need to go step in for them. But one of us is handling this today. The Lord says to Moses, I tell you what, you just let me handle this, Moses. You let me take care of this. What I'll do is I will hit reset on these people. I will take care of them. I will annihilate them. The word kalal is the word for destroy, utterly destroy. And it means wipe them off the face of the earth. 
The Lord says, Moses, look, step aside. You don't have to intercede. Step aside, and I will wipe them off the face of the earth, and then you and I will make another nation that will serve me. So Moses responds to the Lord. We will discuss exactly what he says in a minute because I think it's a good model for intercessory prayer. But Moses begs the Lord to withhold his judgment. As a matter of fact, Deuteronomy says that Moses prayed for 40 days and 40 nights in power as an intercessor. In power in intercessory prayer. Friends, prayer matters, right? Prayer matters. One thing that we know is that prayer matters. It matters to God and it should matter to us. Prayer shows our love and our dedication to God. Prayer shows our love and our dedication to others. It demonstrates humility, trust, and understanding of grace. Prayer is commanded by God, but it is also a desired way of communication from God to us. Jesus spoke of prayer commonly, and he used these few words. He said often. He used these few words often. He says, come, seek, ask, knock. Jesus, in his own life, demonstrated prayer, but he also spoke on prayer. And he gave methodology to prayer. He gave action, things, steps that we could take in prayer. He modeled prayer in his own life through the Lord's Prayer. The Old Testament is chalked full of intercessory prayer. Psalms is basically a huge prayer and songbook. Prayer matters in the eyes of God, especially intercessory prayer. Intercessory prayer is when prayer goes from being about us to being about others. It is the primary way uh, to remove the centralized focus on self from our prayers. But intercessory prayer is also a way for the people of God to call upon God on behalf of someone who cannot call for themselves or will not call for themselves. I am convinced of this, friends, that our prayer life should be marked in large part upon intercessory prayer. And personally, when I say, oh, my prayer life is just not where it should be, it doesn't mean that I don't pray. What it means is, when I say my prayer life is where it it should not be, it's I pray for myself way too much. And I pray specifically for my family way too much in comparison to how much I pray for others and the needs and concerns of others. When I say my prayer life is not where it should be, what I'm saying is it's not chalked with intercessory, selfless, humble prayer. This week I've prayed for my house, sis, my work, my family, and for a few of you, I've prayed for my sermon, I've prayed for my stress, my stress level, but I must confess that I struggle as an intercessor. I have prayed for a few of you this week in an attempt to sort of bridge the gap that you cannot for yourself to intercede for you. But until writing this, in my, until writing this sentence in my outline, I had failed to pray for how you would respond to this sermon this week. That should be one of the most simple and common things that I do every week, and often it is, but I had failed until I wrote it in my outline to pray for how you would respond to this sermon this week. 
I am convinced that the way, friends, that the church grows strong, that it stays strong, is when God's people intercede on behalf of their brothers and sisters in their church body, in the world, in the, in the universal church, and in the lost. And reading the text today, I pulled out some thoughts on intercessory prayer that I want to give to you. I want to share with you today that I think and hope will be profitable in helping you and me become more of watchmen for the souls of our friends, more of watchmen for the souls of our loved ones and even our enemies. And the first thought is this, intercessory prayer is a way of expressing grace and mercy Intercessory prayer is so important because it is a way of expressing grace and mercy. Often, how much our prayers matter can be sort of a confusing thing, right? We know and we trust in the sovereignty of God, and we know that He doesn't change His mind. His plans and His ways are firm. One example of this truth can be found in 1 Samuel 15, 29. He who is the glory of Israel does not lie or change His mind, for He is not man that He should change His mind. We know this. We see that He is sovereign. But in another sense, we see that the prayers of a righteous man has great working or has great power as it is working. So this is what I will say to you, and I said this in our ethics study on uh, one Saturday a few weeks ago. Somewhere in the knowledge, out here, in His ways are higher than our ways, His thoughts are higher than our thoughts, is the knowledge of the Trinity being a spiritual paradox and not contradicting. Somewhere in, the, in, in out here, where His ways are not our ways and His thoughts are not our, th- our thoughts, is the thought that God is sovereign and we have a free will. And then somewhere out here in the the thought that His ways are not our ways and His thoughts are not our thoughts is the thought that prayer matters, prayer beseeches the heart of God and He listens and it affects His heart and also God is sovereign and He is in control and He does not change. His will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And rather than being contradictions, they are spiritual paradoxes that we do not have the mind to understand or explain. After all, God is in the heavens and he does what he pleases. That being said, I'm not sure in this situation that the Lord was saying, um, Israel's dead, change my mind. As much as he was saying, Moses, go get your mans. That's cultural here. I'm being, for all you millennials, I'm being cultural here. Just kidding. Go get your people, uh, the Lord says to Moses, and straighten them out. Here's where I get this assumption. I don't think the assumption that the Lord is saying to Moses, go straighten them out as opposed to change my mind. Here's where I get this assumption. The Lord says to Moses to go down. He says, go down. Go down, Moses, and get your people. This is not the words of a God who wants to destroy his people. These are the words of a God who wants to refine and rescue his people. If the plan was to destroy them, he would have said, not go down, Moses. He would have said, stay up here for a little while. It might get messy down there. But instead, he sends his intercessor down. There's a little funny, uh, there's a funny uh, irony, not funny, haha, but funny like it's there. Um, uh, uh, irony that's happening. The people of God, as Moses is gone, are trying to reach God in the story of the golden calf. And they say to Aaron, go up, go up. 
Make for us an idol, basically. Go up. Go up. See, idolatry is not... Is not it's, it, the problem with idolatry is not that people do things that are, you know, it's not you have a statue. It's not that, you know, you, whatever. You know, the list goes on. I didn't think about that beforehand, so I don't have a lot in my mouth. So you get it, though. Idolatry is not necessarily having a, a statue in your front yard of Mary. Idolatry is getting to the point where you want to go up to God, where you think you can go up to God instead of Him coming down to you. Go up. Go up, they said, at the Tower of Babel. We're going to build up to the heavens. But the only way we have effectively found to meet with God is that if God comes down to meet with us. And so God says, go down, Moses, and meet with your people. He's saying, Moses, your people have withdrawn from me. Go pull them back in before I destroy them for their sin. Haven't we all been there as a parent? We have said to our spouse, you better get your child before I kill them. You can save them if you go and intercede, but if you don't, I can't be responsible for what I do. So the Lord shows grace by telling Moses to go down. Another thing that is just wonderful, and it's scary, but it shows the mercy and grace of God. The Lord says, leave me alone, Moses. Just let me do what I'm going to do. In a sense, he is asking Moses for permission to destroy his people. Friends, you need to hear this. And this is why intercessory prayer shows grace and mercy. This is why intercessory prayer is so important. The Lord is saying, Moses, you can go down. But if you just step out of the way, I will take care of this quickly. Essentially saying, Moses, if you just stop interceding on behalf of your people... I will destroy them, and I will start over. But as it stands, I am withholding this wrath because of your intercession. Let that weight drop on you right now. Let that weight bury you right now. The Lord says to Moses, I am withholding my wrath because of your intercession. Moses, just get out of the way and let me handle business. One commentator explained what the Lord was doing here by using another parenting illustration. He says it's much like a parent saying that they will throw away their children's toys uh, as they are all over the house. We've all, you know, parents have all done that. The intent is not necessarily to throw away the toys all the time, but it's to get their children to clean up in a manner that is permanent. The Lord's intent is not to throw away His people, but to get them to draw back to Him in a way that is permanent. Friends, we must be people who intercede in more than one way, but especially in prayer for those in the body of Christ. We must be people who fervently call out to God on behalf of others and stand in the gap for them. Why? Because like Moses, we may be the only thing preventing the judgment and wrath of God from coming down on someone. Hear me now. We are not responsible for other people's sinful behavior. We are not responsible for other people's rebellion. But we are responsible for our personal godly obedience to pray for those people that we love. And we may be the only one standing in the gap for them, protecting the gap in the wall. 
We are responsible, friends, for being a constant voice in the ear of God on behalf of our brothers and sisters in Christ and even the lost. Intercessory prayer reveals the grace and mercy of God, but also it reveals the grace and mercy within the heart of the intercessor to continue to pursue the lost, to continue to pursue those who have fallen away, to continue to pursue their brothers and sisters in Christ in prayer. Which leads to the next point. Intercessory prayer is a way of expressing humility. Something I've learned over the years is that humility does not come naturally to everyone. Most of you struggle with it. I know that I've gotten it taken care of quickly. As a matter of fact, humility often comes um, in the, or it's seen in the most natural things that we are. It's known in the most natural things that we cannot see. It comes in expressions of a humble, humble heart, and by default, those are typically not seen by others. One of those ways that humility is expressed, I believe, is through intercessory prayer for others. Some of the most humble people that I know are some of the most fervent prayers, and some of the most fervent people in prayer are some of the most humble people I know. I'm certain that at times Moses felt like it would have been easier to take God up on the whole, I'll wipe them out thing and start over. I mean, after all, they've said, look what you've done, Moses. It would have been better that we died in Egypt. They said, look what you've done, Moses, a thousand times. It would have been easier for Moses had he wiped out, but had he wiped them out. But in humility, instead of allowing the Lord to wipe them out, he prayed for them. He prays to God. By doing so, he is humbling himself. Now, I'll come up with a few reasons why, and I don't think it's on the outline. I'm pretty sure it's not on the outline. I've come up with a few reasons why that prayer, intercessory prayer, shows humility. Intercessory prayer expresses humility because it shifts from a self-centered focus in prayer. I must confess, as I already have, I am put to shame by some people in this room. How often they pray for me. How often they text me. How often they let me know that, they're on, that I'm on their heart and they're, I'm on their mind. And how little that I do that for them and for others. My prayer life is so focused oftentimes on all the things that are on my heart regularly. And I tell you, as we get more busy and as our life gets more full, the things that are on our hearts do not concern others, typically. They concern our things. Think about, just for a second, if you don't believe me, think about the thing that you've prayed for the hardest ever in your life. Think about the thing that you, you sought God after daily, hourly, every minute. Think about the things that you've, ta- that you've gone to God on in your life. Were they very personal? Or did they involve someone that was secondary to you? It's most likely, and there's nothing wrong with this. It's natural. If your parent is sick, if uh, a child is sick, You go to the Lord for them, and it's on your heart, and it's on your mind. But when we become intercessors, what we are doing is we are telling God, we are telling others that I care more about, I care as much at least about you as I do me. Things that cause us stress, things that cause us worry, our future We focus on, we think about, we pray about. Intercessory prayer is humble because it puts aside 
all of those things on some level, and it says, you are just as important as I am. Your needs are just as important as my needs to me. Intercessory prayer expresses humility because it is often praying for our enemies and those that we are at odds with. On the other hand, the Lord has given me great peace in this area of my life. I learned a long time ago because I've made enemies my whole life because I'm, I don't know if you know this, I'm a little verbose. I sort of speak my mind. I don't know if you've caught on to that yet. I sort of tell people how it is sometimes and sometimes I tell people how it is with me. And so a lot of people don't like that. I wouldn't know, I guess. I mean, I'll just, unless they tell me. So early on, I found out that people that didn't like me, if I, if I, this is a caveat here, but it shouldn't be. If I wanted to like them, I needed to pray for them. If I wanted to like them, I needed to pray for them. And it wasn't this. Oh, Lord, would you change the heart of this person? Would you help them to be more loving and more gracious? No, it was this. God, would you help me to be more understanding? Would you help me to be humble? Would you help me to forgive? Would you help me to to find a way to crack the heart of this person who doesn't like me? I can honestly say that when someone comes across and they don't like me, one of the first things that I do is I pray for them. And I go to the Lord and I beseech Him. I ask Him to help me in my relationship with them. It's humble. It's humbling because you have to say, Lord, I know I'm a problem here. I know I'm a problem here. I'm one of the problems. I'm part of the problem. Will you help me to solve the problems in my life that are hindering me from right fellowship with this person? And I can honestly say that those prayers have solved 100% of those type of relationships. They've solved them one way or the other. I end up being friends with them, or we agree that we can't be friends, and we just go off. We just, not on each other, we just leave. We're just not friends anymore. It's, but, but in the meantime, it's made me more empathetic. It's made me more understanding. It's made me able to change my perspective. To see that my perspective is not the only perspective. It is sad and telling that we often have the power to speak to, uh, to speak to other people about others, but not to God. It's sad and telling and prideful that we can formulate an hour-long conversation about what others have done to us or what others have done to someone else, and we can't form a five-minute talk with God about it. Gossip is, and this type of conversation is destroying to the church, but it's bad because it's depending on others instead of God. It is making an idol of your friends instead of God. You have made it, when we gossip primarily as opposed to going to the Lord, we are saying, hey, best friend, you're my golden calf. You're my sounding board. You're my person. You're my ear. You listen. You understand me. We say all these things. Basically what we're saying is, you're my golden calf. And it's not a problem to speak to other people about things that are happening in your life. It's a problem when we can formulate sentences better to people than we can to God. 
Intercessory prayer expresses humility because it shows that you care about something other than yourself. It shows that you care about something other than yourself. In combination with the first and second thoughts I gave you, intercessory prayer reveals a lot about our hearts towards others. If we care, we will think about the needs of others. If we think about the needs of others and we're a believer, we will pray for them. If we're more self-centered, we will not think about the needs of others as much. If we aren't thinking about the needs of others, we will be less likely to pray for them. Being a part of the body of Christ, friends, is not just about you. It's not just about your needs and your stresses and your anxieties and your trouble at work and your trouble in the family and your trouble in life in general. Successful people, spiritually and worldly, find ways to balance the care for their personal needs and the care for others. Every successful people I I personally know, especially successful Christians, find a way to balance their personal needs and the needs of others. Loving people find ways to balance their personal needs and the needs for others. (coughs) Humble people find ways to balance their personal needs and the needs for others. Much of this can simply be solved by just being a more considerate person, thinking of others more often, being more organized, having a prayer calendar, writing requests down, take time each week to pray for someone or something different, and think about these things as you pray, always. God's will, their needs, my needs. God's will first, their needs second, my needs third. Intercessory prayer is revealing about people. It reveals what people cherish most in their life. But also intercessory prayer is a way of confirming God's providence. It's a way of confirming God's providence. If we take the view that we can manipulate or twist the arm of God, then we have God all wrong. The prayer of a righteous man works much. It's effective. But prayer of man does not work God, if you know what I mean. It works much, but it does not work God. We should beg and plead to the Lord on behalf of our personal needs in our family. We should beg and plead to the Lord for others, but we should also learn to pray in the will of the Lord for the things of the Lord. When we do that, prayer just confirms the sovereignty of God instead of supplanting it. Prayer speaks to the heart of God from our heart because what is on your heart is on God's heart when we're praying in the will of God. I will tell you this and never be, mistake, never be mistaken about this. Your prayer matters. The, ch- the church joining together and praying as one matters. But the will of the Lord will always be done on earth as it is in heaven. Can I give you an example of this? You all know that by now dad uh, had stage 2 melanoma cancer on his face. And you have all been praying for him. You've texted me. You've asked me how he was doing. You've texted them. You've asked them how they were doing. But we kept it pretty, pretty low key. We didn't tell everyone. But those who know have been praying. Now we found out Friday that dad's cancer has not spread. I don't know if everybody knew that. So we're praising the Lord for that. Uh, those prayers of God mattered. Those prayers of God mattered. And in the same vein, I went to a funeral yesterday of a friend who died with over, after over a, little, a little over a year of a battle with cancer. Many people in DeSoto County knew him, and a massive amount of people were praying for him, yet he passed away. 
Did those prayers matter to God? Were those prayers in vain? Of course those prayers matter. And of course they were not in vain. But we need to understand that God keeps His will and His purposes and His plan. And as faithful believers, we can pray, begging, beseeching, hoping, but most importantly, trusting. And as best as we can, we do not question the will of God. Jeremiah 18 speaks of this, of the Lord's will being done. Jeremiah 18.5 says, Then the word of the Lord came to me, O house of Israel, can I, can I not do with you as the potter has done, declares the Lord? Behold, like clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. If at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it, and if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I intended to do to it. And if at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will build and plant it, and if it does evil in my sight, not listening to my voice, then I will relent of the good that I have intended to do to it. Now therefore say to the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, thus says the Lord, behold I am shaping disaster against you and devising a plan against you. Return everyone from his evil way and amend your ways and your deeds." So we say as we pray that they matter. But we say as we get the result that we were looking for, thanks be to God, to God be the glory. And we say as if we don't get the result we are looking for, thanks be to God, to God be the glory. Remember, somewhere within the Trinity and free will and sovereign grace is the thoughts that our prayers matter, that they affect the heart of God, but that His will is done on earth as it is in heaven. And as Christians, we look at the will of God, we pray in the will of God, and we trust in the will of God, and at the end we say, God, you're still good. This was the testimony of my friend. Uh, One of his friends spoke. They had a couple of friends speak at the funeral. And he said, as, as uh, his name was Gerald, as Gerald knew that his time was over, he was, it was all the treatment, all the plans, everything that they had done, they could do no more. His days were ending. He looked at his friends that were around his bedside and he said, God is still good. God is still good. We pray in the will of the Lord. We beseech earnestly. We cry out. We fervently pray. We regularly pray. But we trust that God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What I would say is this. If you want to pray more in the will of the Lord, start every prayer by saying, Lord, your will be done. Jesus modeled this in the Lord's Prayer, right? You know it. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in your heaven, as it is in heaven. Your will be done. Ask God for to help you to pray in his will as Jesus did. Ask God to measure our motives every time we pray. Pray humbly, but pray expectantly. Pray graciously. How do you know that you do that? Have you ever heard the saying, you don't look a gift horse in the mouth? What that basically means is if somebody's giving you a gift, if it's free, 
You don't sit there and examine it to see how good it is. You just think, this is free. This is a gift. Thank you for this gift. Well, we pray graciously, as in God gives us, we pray and God gives us something, and we don't say, well, Lord, this isn't exactly the model that I was looking for. This isn't the exact type I was hoping for. We pray graciously, knowing that His will is done on earth as it is in heaven. And if we are humble, we would be willing to accept that prayer. Prayer confirms the providence of God. The last thing is this. Intercessory prayer is a way of softening the heart of man and subsiding the wrath of God. Intercessory prayer is a way of softening the heart of man and subsiding the wrath of God. I've already mentioned this, but prayer just does something to people. It makes us more empathetic. It humbles us knowing that others are going through something and having it fresh on our mind reminds us of how short life is. It causes us to consider the needs of others first. It causes us to humanize people. This is why when you're praying for your enemy, it works because you humanize your enemy. You see them like you see yourself. I know it, it causes me to humanize people in more than one way. When I see someone who's a giant in my life sick or something like that, it causes me to think of them on a, on a human level and the brevity of life. But when I see someone who I don't like and they don't like me and I pray for them, it causes me to stop looking at them as the person that disappoints me or the person that's not meeting my needs. We stop looking at them as the enemy. We start looking at them as someone who is in need of grace just as we are. Prayer softens the hardest heart. Moses was certainly softened to the people of God. You can tell this in the prayer he prays and the way that he approaches God. But also this prayer and the subsequent correction from Moses and God softened the heart of God's people. We see later that they repented. But the Lord, what are they repenting from? The Lord calls them stiff-necked people. A stiff-necked person is making a reference to an ox or something like that on a farm that when you're trying to put the yoke around their neck, they the animal will tighten up so you can't put the yoke around their neck. A stiff-necked person. Stiff-necked people will not bend. They are always right, and he or she is always wrong. To a stiff-necked person, everyone else has the problem. Everyone else is constantly letting them down or disappointing them. To which I would say, if you have a problem with the majority or a, va- or a large portion of your relationships, there is only one common denominator. But prayer even humbles the most stiff-necked person. Softens hearts. Restores relationships draws people closer together, and more importantly, closer to God. And as we have discussed on some level, intercessory prayer also subsides the wrath of God. The Lord said, get out of my way, Moses. And Moses knew what the Lord meant, so he prayed. He prayed. And he sets, I think, I don't think it's the model prayer in the sense that you have to do this every time, but I think it is a model prayer for intercessory prayer. He said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn against your people? Moses reminded, he called them your people. He deflected. The Lord said, Moses, these are your people. And Moses says, Lord, these are your people. 
Why does your wrath burn against him? Moses reminded the Lord of his adoption. He reminded him that it, when, he, when he reminded him of the adoption, he reminded him that this was not something that happened in slavery in Egypt, but this is something that happened before the foundation of the world. He reminded them of the Lord of his love for his people, how he chose them out based on no merit of their own, but just because of his great love for them. Moses says, Lord, turn away this hot anger against your people. Please forgive them. And then he goes on to say, These people, whom your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand, oftentimes this is why we don't hurt our children. It's because we've got too much invested in them. So, so we don't want to, you know, we've got a long way to go. You know, the Lord, he says, Lord, think about what you've put into these kids. They aren't perfect, but think about all you've done. Think about the work. Think about Egypt. Think about the, uh, the, think about the crossing of the Red Sea. Think about, the, think about the, the miracles you've performed, the water from the rock, the manna. Think about all you've got invested in them. Then Moses prays, Why should the Egyptians say, with evil intent, did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Moses says, Lord, you're their father. You adopted them. You love them. Think about all that you've got invested in them. And think, Lord, what the other people will say. Think what Egypt will say. What kind of God brings his people out from us just to kill them in the mountains? That's what Egypt would say. Egypt then would question the deity and the power of God. He said, Lord, don't let the other people, the other surrounding nations, misconstrue how just you are and misconstrue you as unjust or cruel. And then most importantly, he says this. Remember Abraham? Remember Isaac? Remember Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars in the heaven. And all this land that I have promised, I will give to your offspring, and they shall inherit it forever. He says, Lord, remember your covenant. If all of the other things failed, he said, Lord, remember your covenant. Moses says, Lord, I know they've sinned. Even if, you, even if you give Egypt the last word and, and Egypt is able to mock you, even if you forget what you have done to get us here, even if you forget that you are their father, don't forget your covenant. You cannot deny yourself. And this is why, friends, I don't believe in once saved, always saved, but I believe when Jesus saves you, he keeps you. Because the Lord cannot deny himself. He cannot deny himself. He will not forget the covenant that he made with you. And he will keep you. Moses said, Lord, you cannot deny yourself. You said to Abraham, to Isaac, to Israel, you said that you were going to make them as vast as the stars in the sky, as the sand on the shore. You said you were going to do that. Lord, would you keep it? And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. Moses gives a model intercessory prayer here. He's, he's humble. He did not deny the sin of his people. He begged on their behalf for God to withhold his wrath. He praised God for God's character. He asked 
for big things, and then he trusted in the result. That we would pray like Moses. That we would beseech God daily on behalf of those who can't or won't. That our prayers would be modeled by humility, expectantly, trustingly, but also accepting the result that God gives. That our prayers would be modeled by humility because our friends and our loved ones would be on our minds as much as our own personal needs. The Bible says this is how you fulfill the second great command. The first, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. And then what? Love your neighbor what? As yourself. As yourself. When we put others on the same level in our prayer lives, we are demonstrating the second command in that aspect, in that spiritual discipline in our own life. And we are humbly beseeching the Creator God of the universe who cares, who intercedes, who knows our prayers matters, and who will do His will on earth as it is in heaven. God, You are so good. We love You. We praise You for being good. Lord, would You make us holy as You are holy? Would You draw us closer to You every day into the image of Your Son, Jesus Christ? Would You help us to be humble, to be loving and concerned with our friends, our loved ones, our neighbors, to bridge the gap, Lord, we may today be the only thing preventing your wrath on someone's life. Help us not to give up. Help us to intercede. Help us to love as you have loved. Lord, I pray, God, that we would be intercessors for our church. That we would be intercessors for our friends in the body of Christ. That we would love you more every day, but we would love others as we love ourselves. I pray and ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.